Please meet in the corner for Children's Church. Uh, The rest of you, let's open up our Bibles together to the book of Ruth. If you are a visitor, this is uh, fourth and final week in our Advent series as we're going through the book of Ruth. So we are at Ruth chapter 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over on the resource table so you can follow along. Uh, While you're over there, there are several new resources for the New Year's, devotionals, uh, a book on St. Nicholas. So before you leave today, I would encourage you to stop by there and pick it up, uh, one of those books. But we are at Ruth chapter 4. This is God's holy word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance, Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the land the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian to Malin, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whose Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you as more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, 
Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. God, as we wrap up our time in the book of Ruth, we pray that you would help us to see uh, your work, what you're doing in uh, the midst of all of this, and ultimately we pray that we would see Jesus. We ask this in precious name of Christ. Amen. All right, is the journey always the same for every traveler? Is the experience always identical from one traveler to the next? I mean, think of coming here today. Did everybody experience the same travel to church today? First of all, people are coming from different locations. So immediately it's different. Everybody's got different cars. You've got uh, different times that you arrove. Maybe if you were driving earlier, the traffic was less. You drive later. Uh, weather, when I came, it was early enough that it was still kind of foggy. So like there's just so many different variables that you might experience that make the journey a little bit different. The trip varies for all of us, sometimes quicker, sometimes slower, sometimes easy, sometimes harder. The journey is different on the journey. And such is the case with life. For those of us here who trust in Jesus Christ, those of us here that are, are, are assured and guaranteed a place in heaven because of Christ, we're going to get there, friends. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. But the journey there is going to vary for each and every one of us. And we see that in the, really the case study of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz that their, their, their destination of getting where God wanted them to be ultimately happened, but how they got there was quite different, and the same is true for each of us. So that's what we're going to consider today. We're going to see how God blesses the broken road that leads to Jesus. If you're a note taker and you want to follow along with us, we're going to begin our time by looking at the problem if you remember last week, we ended on a to-be-continued kind of cliffhanger. What's going to happen? And we're going to see what ends up happening with regards to the potential problem. Secondly, we're going to look at the prayer. Uh, as we, we see things starting to work themselves out, as we start seeing these problems solved and solutions brought forth, we're going to see uh, the people praying and they're looking out into the future with great hope of what this all means for everybody. The third thing we're going to consider is the pregnancy, this joyful celebration that Naomi and Ruth get to experience together. And then we're going to wrap our time by, by looking at the point of the book of Ruth. And namely, we're going to see it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So let's pick up at the beginning of chapter 4 as we see the problem. Uh, if you remember, kind of recap, especially for those of you visiting, you weren't here for the series. Chapter 1, we saw the fingerprints of God all over the place. Even though God actually is, is, is barely seen in regards to his name in chapter 1, we see God working out all the details from famines to ending of famines to, to get people where they need to be. 
chapter 2, we heard Pastor Andy uh, showed that the Hesed love, the loving kindness of God was on display. We see grace and mercy being poured out on all the major characters in chapter 2. Chapter 3, we saw God was at work amongst the faithful. We see the faithfulness in Naomi and Ruth and in Boaz. And now we encounter the problem that we were left with at the end of chapter 3. We saw that cliffhanger. Look at verse 1 with me. So Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the land, the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the deal, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So we see that problem. There's this Redeemer. There's another Redeemer. Because when we ended last week, Ruth was, was there. Boaz was there. Ruth proposed to Boaz. Boaz is like, I'm all about marrying you. One problem there is somebody closer in lineage than me that actually has right to do this before me. And then we're left wondering, what's going to happen? Was this all to do about nothing? We, 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 we start growing attached to these characters, and now they're not even going to end up together. So he goes to the city of gate where it says, behold, it's the same language that we saw when she ended up in the field of Boaz. You remember? And it so happened and it so happened that this relative showed up at the gate at this time. And when we hear that, we're supposed to understand this is not a coincidence. This is God orchestrating events. So he's there at the city gate. Once again, city gate, kind of culturally different for you and I. We don't really think of the city gate. The city gate would have been the place of business, the place of politics. It would have been the place. So he goes there with the intent of making all of this go down in a very official uh, way. And notice Boaz's uh, sales pitch. He starts with what? He starts with the land. So you got this other relative that remains uh, anonymous, and he tells him, hey, uh, Naomi's back. She's selling the land. One of us, because we're relatives, we need to redeem it so it stays in the family. You're first. Are you willing to do it? And he looks at it initially, and he says, I'll do it. Why is he saying I'll do it? At this point, Naomi has no lineage so when Naomi's dead, where is this land going to go to? It's not going back to her family. It's going to stay with me. It's going to stay with my family. It's going to stay with my children. Also, what was the land used for there? They would harvest, right? We just saw the, the, the harvest that just took place. So the land would not only make money off of it, it would stay in his family, it would increase his inheritance, and then on top of it all, it would make him look really good. Like, oh, 
this anonymous guy. What a great guy. He's stepping up. He's redeeming the land for Elimelech's family. And then what does Boaz do? Also, I, I, I forgot to tell you, fine print, uh, you end up with a foreign woman. Oh, and by the way, you're going to need to marry her and have a child with her to carry on the lineage of the deceased family members. Uh, you still want to redeem it, right? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I, I can't do it, he says. He says, I, I cannot do it. They, there's a TV show. I don't even know if it's still on, but I always remembered it. I, I thought the show was fascinating. It was called What Would You Do? It was almost like a sociological project done by this TV show. They would put people that were actors and actresses in situations where they were in desperate need. And then they would test the people in the public that have no idea these are actors and actresses to determine do they get involved, do they help out, or do they turn a blind eye. I remember one, uh, these kids were vandalizing a person's automobile and it was amazing the number of people watched it go down and they refused. And these are younger kids, so it wasn't like some 18, 19-year-old. They would turn a blind eye and just ignore it. But the, the thing I always found ridiculous about this show is they would interview people. Now, mind you, you don't have to do the interview people. The people who didn't help out. The people who looked terrible in the circumstance this lady was crying out for help. Why didn't you help? I didn't want to get involved. Like, you know you look like a really bad human being. And they go on, and like, I know, I want to, I want to be interviewed on national television to, to, so you can hear my side of the story. No, so, like, we need to understand this relative looks horrible. Do you understand that? Because he, he, he's, not, he's not being a person who's in the covenant. Like, it, it should have been a no-brainer. God, remember, we talked about it. Kinsman Redeemer, the Leveret. Like, he had to do that. That's what you do. It really was an optional. Notice the language that he says. I cannot do it. That is wrong, friends. He cannot do it. He did not want to do it. He counted the cost, and he thought, one, maybe his wife's not going to be a fan of the other wife. Two, he's not wanting to share the inheritance with his kids. He doesn't, like, he's going to have to pay for this woman. He's going to have to pay for this land. He's like, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. And why is that significant? Because it is at the time of the judges when everyone did what was, we know this by heart now, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And he is, he is, he is that, the, the no-name guy. I think he has a kindred spirit in the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 31, now, by chance, a priest was going down the road when he saw him, the beaten-up guy who was left to dead, and he went by on the other side. This kinsman-redeemer potential has an opportunity to step up, to care for his family members, to do what was right, and he said, I can't do it. So we have another redeemer, but praise the Lord, we have an actual redeemer. We have Boaz. He's the opposite of that. He counts the cost, and what does he say? I got this. I'll do it. I'm always amazed when I see people who donate a kidney to a stranger. 
I mean, it seems like a no-brainer potentially with a family member, a friend, somebody that's dear to you, but somebody that I've never met before because I saw a news story, or I, and, and you're going to willing, and I understand you have another kidney, but what if something goes wrong with the other kidneys? It's kind of nice to have a backup kidney as a person. And, and you understand in that context, though, like Boaz, he, he doesn't blink. Boaz doesn't think twice about being the Redeemer. And he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do everything that it entails. I'll, I'll marry her. I'll have a child with her. I will take care of my mother-in-law. I will take care of, I'll pay for the land. It doesn't matter. I will be the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. I'll, I will make good on the Leveret custom. I think because he understood what James 4, 17 says. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And friends, I I think we have that challenge. I think often we get opportunities in life where we know the right thing to do. We know what we as followers of Jesus should do, but we often say, I cannot do it. Let's be candid. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because it's going to cost. It's going to be sacrificial. It's going to take my time. It's going to take my resources. It's going to put my agenda off to the side. Friends, we, we, we need to follow in the footsteps of the Boazes of the Bible who count the cost and say, you know what, because this is what is right, this is what is good, I will do that. But in the midst of all of it too, not only do we see the other Redeemer, the actual Redeemer, here's the big picture. And like I said, Ruth is about who? It's about Jesus, the actual Redeemer. In a small glimpse of Ruth and Boaz, we're ultimately seeing Jesus. Because did Jesus count the cost? He counted the cost. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, think about it. We're celebrating God, the God-man, coming into this world, being in a position where he needs a mother and father to take care of him as a baby. If there's ever been cost, that is cost. And he not, only, he not only willfully did that, he did it because he was born to die. He knew all along it was never plan B. He knew he was born so he would one day die and be the Lamb of God. And he did it with no blinking. Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that's the Redeemer we needed. We, we need a bigger Redeemer than Boaz. We needed Jesus, and he, he came. Do you see the selflessness, selflessness of, of our Redeemer? Do you see your neediness? Do you see Jesus in the midst of all of this? So we see the problem. Secondly, we see the, that the problem is overcome. We see the prayer. Boaz is ready to redeem. He wants to make it official. So go to verse 7 with me. Go to verse 7. I want us to see that there is a commitment that is binding there's a commitment that is binding. He says, now this was, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malin. So this is a commitment that is binding. Part of the reason why he has the elders sit down along with this man is to make it an official get-together. Think about it today. If you've ever bought a house 
or you've sold a house, signing day. And on signing day, what do you do? You do a lot of what? Signing. Like, and to be honest with you, at least for my wife and I, when we did it, I really at some point don't know what I'm signing. I mean, you could slip in things. They could have had my children. I didn't know. I didn't look. I'm like, at some point you just get, but the, the deal of the signing and the contract and the notarizer and all that stuff is so tomorrow after the signing, you're like, you know what? I don't want the house. I want my money back. Or I want my house back. I don't want the money. It's not that easy now because it's, it's made official. So what's going on here is, 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 a, is a contract that just took place. It's official. Now the removal of sandal, a lot of speculation, probably stems with the idea of walking the land. Joshua 1.3 says, Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. So it's symbolic of ownership, possession, that you're not backing out. So if anybody's buying a house soon, I would encourage you to give the person the shoe off your foot and just say it's in Ruth. Don't ask. So Boaz, though, we see in this, and here's the beauty of it, Boaz the caliber of man that we thought he was. He's a good man. He does it today. Or are you like that? Are you a person that makes good on your promises? But not only do we see this commitment that is binding, there is conferred upon blessings. Read verse 10 with me. He says, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses to this. This day, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. A whole lot of stuff going on in those three verses. We don't have time to spend a ton of time on it, but I do want to talk about the blessing. First of all, it is lavish blessings that are wished. It always cracks me up when you ask kids what they want for Christmas the younger they are. Why? Because the younger they are, the bolder they're asking, and the most like absurd in their realistic expectations, right? I mean, if, if we got a lot of the gifts that my younger kids asked, I would drive a Bugatti. I would, like, we would have some high-end sports cars. Now, you don't fit a lot, six kids in those, so we, I take turns. Like, today you get to ride with me, Josh. But, like, they would ask those things. I'm like, newsflash, dad does not have the money to buy sometimes multi-million dollar cars. Just not in, in, in our budget quite yet. That's how kids do. They ask these, like, big things. But as you get older, we kind of grow cynical and jaded. And you're like, we ask, like, very real. I, I need some white T-shirts Actually, wearing one today, my mom, that was one of the things I asked mom, my, my mom, I'm like, I need white t-shirts. Like that, it, you notice the difference. These blessings are more like a little child asking Christmas gifts. They're, they're kind of ridiculous. They're three-pronged. First of all, blessing number one, the woman you're marrying, here's our hope, that she would be like Rachel and Leah. That's a ridiculous hope. Rachel and Leah, along with their maidservants, are the, the, the founding mothers of basically the nation of Israel. It, it's, you've got the 12 tribes of Judah, 
right? 12, 12 tribes, you understand, it's all from those women. So like Ruth, what was Ruth again? She was a what? A Moabite. Our prayer is that this woman who is a foreigner, a nobody, we're here in Bethlehem, mind you, we're hoping that she is kind of on the same playing field as these two women. Blessing number two, Boaz, that he would continue on in righteousness, that he would be one, because we've seen a godly man in Boaz, right? But have we seen godly men who have also stumbled and fallen? The very person that ends the last word in Ruth, isn't he that guy? Look at the last word in the book of Ruth, chapter four. Look at the very end. Who is it? Did he finish strong? Not so much. Committed adultery, had a man murdered. This is a man after God's own heart. He was this kind of a hot mess. And, and their prayer is that Boaz would finish strong, that he would finish strong, that he would be remembered. 2 Timothy 4, 7, in the words of Paul, that he would be the one that would fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. And then the third blessing, even more wild, that the family and lineage would resemble and even be a part of the house of Perez. Like I said, a bunch of mess. First of all, house of Perez, it's because of scandal. Tamar bore Perez. How? Through her father-in-law. Because her husband died, he was responsible to eventually provide, like we've talked about, that leveret custom. One of the kids needs to come along and, and keep the line going. Never happens. So she tricks him as a prostitute and then ends up having a baby with her father-in-law, unbeknownst to him until he finds out later what he did and, and sees even her uh, nobility in, in all of it. But the big deal with all of this with Judah is the Judah line in Genesis 49 has a great significance. Genesis 49.10, it says, and this is the line of Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So through the line of Judah, a king is going to come. And not just a king, if you remember too, because here's the other thing in all this. Look at the language in here. It says that the word, it says because of the offspring. Offspring, very weighted term in the Bible, specifically in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and her. He's going to bruise your heel or you're going to bruise his heel, he's going to crush your head. And the term in all of that is used, the offspring. So even in the midst of all of this, kind of the hope in this is that this child will somehow be connected, somehow be affiliated with the line of Judah and with the hope of this coming king. Those are some big prayers, some very wishful thinking on the part of the elders and those at the city gate. Well, do you wish like that? Do you pray like that? Do you pray for big blessings? And I'm not talking about name it and claim it, but I do feel like a good portion of us, we pray such meager prayers. We pray with such little faith. Like, think of this. Think about right now, who is that one person in your life, if there's that one person that you could see come to know Jesus today? 
who would that person be? Do you pray about them? Do you plead with God? You see, these people, these strangers that we don't know anything about, what a beautiful prayer. They pray that Ruth is going to be great, that Boaz is going to be great, this lion is going to be great, and guess what happens to their prayer? It comes to fulfillment because ultimately it's going to come in Christ. So we see the problem's been overcome. We see the prayer of blessing bestowed upon the major players. Now I want us to see the prayer. Look at verse 13 with me. The prayer that begins to be answered, the praise. Read verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went in her and she, the Lord gave the, her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in all Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nurser of your old age. For your father-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. First of all, immediate context. This is a rags to riches story. To be honest with you, it should borderline, if not, bring some tears to your eyes for those of you who have been following along this Ruth story. I mean, it really is. Like, and this is, this is not rags to riches like the Beverly Hillbillies. They found oil and they ended up in Beverly. But like, you understand, remember how we started. Wrap your mind around this. Famine comes. Rather than cry out and plead to God, they leave, go outside of the promised land to a foreign land, to Moab. They're there 10 years. She loses her husband. She loses both of her sons, comes back with two daughters-in-law, and then one actually leaves because she realizes this is a bad idea. So she's back with her random foreign daughter-in-law, and when she gets back, remember what she says in Ruth 121, I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Call me Mara, because life has been bitter. Remember that. She's empty. She has nothing. She has no son. And we saw the story. And the truth is, God was not done with Naomi. God had a purpose. His hesed love, his loving kindness was on display. She didn't see it over the course of the story, but right here, guess what Naomi sees? She sees it. I guarantee there were some tears. It doesn't say it in the Bible. I feel confident in speculating. There were some tears of joy on the part of Naomi when she held that baby. You understand that? That, that God was, was faithful to her. It was remarkable. Not only just faithful in that child, the, the girl, Ruth. Now, this is not downplaying losing a husband and losing two sons, but Ruth was such an amazing woman. From their perspective, she's better than if she had seven sons because this woman loved her. I think it's what Joseph speaks of in Genesis 50 when he looks back at all the garbage he had to go through to get where he ended up. He says, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In the immediate context, there's Ruth. 
There's Naomi, there's this baby, and in the midst of all of it, you see God's goodness. This is a love story. Not just a love story between Ruth and Boaz, it's a love story between God and his people that I'm not done with you. That I've got a plan and purpose when life is falling apart and trials and tribulation, everything happened. I got this, I know what I am doing. I love the lyrics to this hymn, God moves in a mysterious way. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings, yes, in blessings on your head. You see, Ruth, Naomi, Naomi specifically saw those dark storm clouds over 10 years. And even when she got back, call me Mara. And those storm clouds ended up bursting forth and bringing on blessing. But not only the immediate context, verse 17, notice verse 17. He goes on and says, and the woman of the neighborhood, they gave him a name saying, a son has been born Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What is a product that you didn't know you needed until you got it? And once you got it, you can't stop using it and you love it. Anything? Come on, something. There's got to be a product. Cell phone. It's cell phone, yeah. For me, it's the Sonic Care toothbrush. For real. It covers a multitude of my, my hygiene sins. It really does. I, I remember, like, even skeptically, like, buying it. The dentist for years, like, you should get a Sonic. I'm like, what? I'm good. I'm good. And I got it, and I'm like, this is amazing. And then it was like magic. I go to the next dentist appointment, no cavities. I'm like, she's like, you've been flossing. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm like, no, sonic hair. It was, here's the, here's not a product. But you see, they don't understand they need a king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king there. Now, mind you, we need to make one minor consideration. They had a king. Who's the king? It was Yahweh. They rejected him, but God in his grace and his mercy said, I'm going to give you the king you need. You don't know you need it, but you need it, and that's what we see here. We see the king that's going to be coming. Now, here's the problem. The king that they immediately get is who? We looked at it. We went through 1st and 2nd Samuel. Saul. Saul is the king they thought they needed and wanted, not the king they needed. But who is the king that they really needed, at least in the immediate context? They needed a man after God's own heart for Samuel 13, 14. And that's the backstory that we see here in the context, the, the praise that this is ultimately leading to the fact that God's going to bring a king in your midst. And this king is going to be the best king, arguably, you could argue maybe uh, Josiah is a little bit more noble for a very brief season comparatively. But generally speaking, this is the greatest king of Israel until King Jesus comes. And this came to a people, right, who everyone did what was right in their own eyes. These are people on the naughty list in today's world. These are the people that you would expect to get coal. No, they get a king. And that's what we're celebrating here. Do you see God's grace and what is happening? So why, why Ruth? Let's look at the point. Why Ruth? Why the story of Ruth in the Bible? What is the point in all of this? Here's some lessons, and now mind you, you might have come up with some other lessons from our time in Ruth, which is good, but here, I, here's some lessons that I think are pretty prevalent in it. First of all, God overcomes obstacles. 
Imagine the worst, most difficult possible obstacle course that you could ever encounter. God is capable of getting you to overcome them. He, that's what he does. He uses these things. Like, I mean, really, no husband, no children, another redeemer, obstacle after obstacle in the book of Ruth, God just overcomes them. Like, they're, they're not even obstacles to God. They just moves them out of the way, one after another. And that's what God does. Isaiah 14, 27, the Lord Almighty has purpose. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? So today, you might have obstacles in your life. Maybe it's financial difficulties. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relationship problems. I, I want to encourage you, based on our time in Ruth, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. God, God can overcome whatever obstacle. And there is not an obstacle in our room that is beyond the sovereign hand of God being able to overcome it. Secondly, God's timing is not our own. You and I, and I'm going to stereotype all of us, we do not like to wait. Amen? Come on, amen. That's hallelujah, right? Like, we, we hate it. I had to stop at Costco yesterday. I have never walked that far. I didn't even know there was parking spots as far as I, I, I had to take a shuttle. No, that would be great if they did have a shuttle. It was that far of walking, and I, I had to wait in line, and I am not the best line waiter. I'm just like cranky, and I'm frustrated. And, and, and you see that, unfortunately, God loves to let us wait in lines. His timing is not our own. Psalm 38, 15, I will wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, oh my God, oh Lord, my God. I mean, we see it in the story. She waits 10 years to come back. She gets back. It's not like Boaz showed up when they arrived in town and said, hey, my name is Boaz. Would you like to get married? No, we went through a whole harvest season. Like, that is God. So whatever your, your current waiting is, and the bearer of good news, you're probably going to have to keep waiting. Maybe not. Be optimistic, but like, be prepared. Like, waiting is part of the process. Also, God's purposes include pain and trials. I mean, I, I think we, I know as a parent, I would love to bubble wrap my kids, sometimes literally, just so they don't get hurt. We, we don't like to see trials. We don't like to see our, our kids go through difficulties. And we need to understand, God loves you and I so much. He allows us to endure hardship because it's for our good and for his glory. It matures us. It, it grows us. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in you, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So I mean, I think these are some valuable lessons for us as we look back in 2023, but also as we look ahead at 2024, that God's still sitting on his throne and his end goal for you and I is conforming us into the image of his son. But not only do we see the lessons, ultimately we see the Lord. We, we see the Lord. Those, those verses where it says in Abed, in Obed, hold on. I closed my Bible early. I thought I was done. Nope, not done. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon, Solomon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, if we stop there, we were right to say, big picture, hey, a king's coming. But 
we take those, we turn to, to Matthew chapter 1, and we look at Matthew chapter 1. It's slightly different, a little bit with some words and some names here and there. But guess what is in Matthew chapter 1? This line. Why? Because it's leading to who? Jesus. It ends with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And that's what the, the big picture of the book of Ruth, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And even in the midst of this, it's about the scandalous background of Jesus. Even in, when we look at the Matthew lineage and genealogy, scandalous names. First of all, we, we forgot to mention, do you know who Boaz's mom is? Who is Boaz's mom? Rahab. What was Rahab? What was her profession? Pharmaceutical sales, no. She was a prostitute. So you got Ruth, the foreigner. You got Rahab, the prostitute. You got Tamar, who had the baby with her. I mean, this is all scandal. I mean, this is stuff that you would, you and I, we would want to hide this background when we're talking about somebody. I always remember uh, when Bill Clinton was the president Bill had a brother. I think it was a half-brother or stepbrother. His name was Roger Clinton. The, the Secret Service had a nickname for him. Does anybody know the nickname? It was Headache. Because he, he was just a walking nightmare for them. They could not keep him further out of the public's eye because you just never knew what he was going to say or do to bring disgrace upon the president. And there is Jesus in the midst of all of this disgrace and scandals and everything. And God is, is, is okay with it because ultimately those disgrace and scandals, the people in his lineage are like who? Like us. The people that he was not only that he came from, but that he came to save. When's the last time you thought about the, the scandal it is of you being in God's family? In God's kingdom. I do hope and pray that you've enjoyed our, our time, our, our study through the, the book of Ruth. Uh, when my wife and I got married, we were married 23 years ago in September. So 23 and counting, praise the Lord. And uh, during our wedding, one of the things we did, and we would do things differently probably because I don't know, as you get older, you're like, oh, why did we do that? Uh, but one of the things we did is we did a slideshow during our wedding ceremony. And uh, we had a song playing in the background. It, part of the slideshow, my wife's kind of embarrassed I'm even bringing this up. It was my idea, so I'll own it. I'll own it. It was my idea. It's like, we need to make it just a little bit more about me than just the, the, the bride. So we had pictures of my wife. I was really immature. Pictures of my wife on the screen, then pictures of, of me, and then pictures of us together. And then we ended up, the, the cool thing in all of it is we shared our testimony audibly, so you could hear our testimonies about it. But the song, I, I wanted to read the song, because I, I think, man, this is like a, a theme song for the book of Ruth. Okay. It's by Colin Ray. It's called All My Roads. He says, looking back from where I stand tonight, I wouldn't change a thing about my life Wrong turns I had to take back in those crazy years could not have been mistakes if they brought me here. I don't regret a single broken heart that taught me what love is and what it's not. 
Someone must have planned our two-password cross. I couldn't see it then, but I was never lost. I knew how to get emotional doing this. I mean, think, think of Ruth. Think of Naomi. Think of what they endured to get to where they were. <clears throat> All right. He says, detours, dead ends, endless explorations. You are my only destination. Because all my roads have led me to this night, this love I share with you. And the road was never smooth. <clears throat> Life has made me someone who could be the right someone for you. Now, yeah, I think it was a great song to kind of celebrate what God did in my wife and I's life to lead us to marriage 23 years in, six kids. Uh, it, it has been an amazing journey. But much more importantly, this isn't the overarching theme of Ruth. All the roads she took, the, the foolish decision to go to Moab, God was using because God had a woman there that he was going to bring back, not just to be in her family, but to be in his family. And not just his family, his lineage to get you to the destination. John Piper declares, the life of the godly is not a straight life, straight line to glory, but you get there. No matter where you are, if you love God, the best is yet to come. And friends, I know everybody in here has got different stories. I know some of you here are struggling. Life is difficult. You feel very much not like Naomi celebrating holding a baby, but you feel like Naomi when she called herself Mara because life is empty and bitter. I just want to encourage you. I want to offer you the hope that God is not done with you, God is still ruling and, and reigning, and he loves you so much. And if, if your current circumstances are bitter, it's because he's got a reason, and he is doing something in your life and through your life. So don't lose hope. Jesus is there. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and we thank you. We thank you for just your your patience with us. We thank you for your consistent faithfulness that even when we lose heart, even when we're like the Father, we can cry out, help us in our unbelief and you help us. So I pray for anybody here today, Lord, who is struggling with, with your providence, with your circumstances. Give them comfort, give them encouragement just as you did for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?